So you go into a shop, you go into a restaurant, people's homes, you can pretty much, you know, bet that, you know, you're going to see the Virgin Mary, Sacred Heart, and Padre Pio. That's where he ranks. Any bar you go into or any restaurant uh, behind the cashier, you always have an image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, something of Mary, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, or Our Lady of Pompeii with the Rosary. Uh, of course, you have the Pope somewhere there, but then you also have Padre Pio. It doesn't matter, and like in people's homes, even if someone's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy how famous he is. He's a rock star. <laughs> Today we're talking about St. Padre Pio, and I think it's pretty clear he's one popular guy in Italy. And just in case you haven't heard too much about him, or you want to know more, we're here to fill you in on this faithful and humble mystic, and hopefully whet your appetite for more information and a deeper relationship with this great saint. My name is Annie Daniel, and this is For All the Saints. Just shows this like they just wanted so much, like they wanted a piece of him, you know? I mean, he was a rock star. On May 25th, 1887, a son was born to Grazio and Maria Forgioni. They named this child Francesco after the great Saint Francis. He was born to a, a kind of a, a poor farming family. Uh, what really stands out about his upbringing was uh, at a very young age already, like at five years old, I think, he made like a consecration of himself to Jesus through Mary. But the whole family, the whole town of Pietrocina, where he grew up in southern Italy, uh, poor, but at the same time very rich in faith. That's Father Mark Horn. My name is Father Mark Horn. Um, in my third year of my priesthood, and I am the parish administrator of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and Keystone and St. Rose of Lima Parish in Hill City. Young Francesco's life centered around the Lord and his church, thanks to his parents and community. As a family, they daily attended the Mass and prayed the Rosary. He was an altar server and loved to wander off by himself so that he could pray or read. But even with this reverent upbringing, it was clear that this boy was being shown extraordinary graces from God. It is said he was surprised when he discovered that not all of the other children could see their guardian angel or Jesus and Mary, because not only did he have those visions, he conversed with them as it was a normal part of his life. At 10, a Franciscan Capuchin visited the area, and Francesco announced to his parents that he wanted to be a friar with a beard. He discerned that he wanted to join, but he didn't have as much of an education as they wanted him to have, so his father went to the United States to earn money for him to be able to go to school. Early in 1903, when he was 15 years old, he joined the Order of the Friars Minor Capuchin, taking the brown habit of the order and the name Fra Pio after the patron saint of Petrelcina. A year later, he took his first vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and immediately left by ox cart to travel to Assisi for the six years necessary to study to be ordained a priest. This God willed to happen, and in 1910, at the age of 23, Fra Pio was ordained Padre Pio. Within a month, as he was praying, Jesus and his Blessed Mother appeared to him and gave him the wounds of Christ, the stigmata. This occurrence was confusing to those around him, and Padre Pio felt drew too much attention. Because the first time it happened, he really didn't want it. He begged the Lord, Lord, I, I want to suffer for you. I want to suffer in union with the church. I don't want this attention. Take this away from me. Uh, and he did, and it left him for a while. The wounds healed, and the mystical life of Padre Pio was hidden once again. 
He was sent to the friary in San Giovanni Rotundo. Uh, no, it's on the east coast. It's almost straight across from Rome. I, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty directly straight across on the peninsula, but it's on the eastern side of that and the rocky, you know, coast. And in 1917, with World War I raging, Padre Pio was drafted into the Italian army. He served in a medical corps for seven months, during which he was very ill. In July of 1918, Pope Benedict XV asked the world to pray for an end to the war. Padre Pio offered himself as a victim for the end of the war. Days later, he had a vision in which the Lord pierced his side. Then, uh, you know, he received the stigmata, you know, he was 31 years old. Um, it was in uh, September, it was on a Friday. Uh, and, uh, you know, the wounds of the stigmata, first of all, the stigmata is the wounds of Christ. So, um, and uh, receiving the wounds in the hands, in the feet, and on the side. So, he received all of them. That's Father Christensen, pastor of the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And so they're, they're the painful wounds of Christ. And from a young age, you know, he is reported that he always desired to suffer with and uh, for Christ. You know, that he would offer himself, that we see that in his various penances and his fasting. Um, but, you know, he's the only priest, I believe, that ever received the stigmata. Other, you know, religious have received the stigmata, um, but he's the only priest, the uh, ordained priest, that has received the stigmata. The stigmata he bore for the next 50 years until his death. Every time it happened, of course, it was very painful. He felt the pain, uh, imaginably, of what Christ himself felt. As word about the stigmata began to spread, people started to travel to see Padre Pio and the stigmata were not the only miraculous occurrences surrounding him. You know, they, he was said to levitate at times, and being in ecstasy and prayer. He was said to bilocate at different times. He had certainly a gift of reading souls in confession. He spent up to 19 hours a day in the confessional, as so much of his ministry was centered around bringing people to the Lord. And you know, the enemy didn't like it. The enemy, he had physical altercations with the enemy, which is, uh, unbelievable, and yet the, the Lord allowed it, permitted it, because this man was strong enough to battle the devil for us. And that's, uh, that's no small thing. And clearly, he was, the only reason the devil attacks in that way is because somebody is bringing people to Jesus. And when the devil wasn't attacking him physically, he was going after him in other ways. It also drew a lot of suspicion. It was like, well, is this all authentic? Is this guy drawing people to himself? And so the Vatican actually did, uh, started clamping down on his ministries, did not allow him to celebrate Mass in public, did not allow him to hear confessions, to preach, all while they were investigating. And he suffered a lot, but he never once uh, rebelled. He said, okay, if this is, you know, I never asked for this to begin with, uh, so if it is authentic, Lord, I trust your church. This faithful servant of God died on September 23rd, 1968. Over 100,000 faithful came to pay their final respects to Padre Pio. In fact, San Giovanni Rotundo, Padre Pio's final resting place, is the second most visited Catholic shrine in the world, coming in second behind Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. When I made a trip to Rome uh, with a group of people, we were scheduled to go to this to the shrine of Padre Pio. And to be honest with you, I was a little nervous because I do not like crowds. And so I was nervous about how crowded it was going to be. And 
was whether I was going to just be packed in or be able to to rest and pray there or see anything. That's Susan Safford, Director of Faith Formation for the Diocese and Consecrated Virgin. And then right before we left, we heard the word that on the day we were scheduled to go to Padre Pio's shrine was the day that John Paul II was going to be beatified in Rome in St. Peter's Square. So then we sort of thought, oh, we should switch gears and go to the beatification. But they couldn't work it out. It was just too last minute. And in the end, I think that was all providential because it was so crowded at John Paul's beatification. And I think there's no way we could have gotten in even to that. But what it did was it lightened up the crowd over at uh, Padre Pio's shrine making it a little bit easier for us to, even though it was still crowded that day, but it was, I think, nowhere near the crowds that they normally have. So that was a great, um, that was a great blessing for me to be with the Lord and to, um, to pray to John Paul II, who loved Padre Pio at his shrine, you know? So that was, um, that was a great experience for me to be able to to do that, to be there. Honestly, what really stood out was their, the museum where they have everything of Padre Pio's. And when I say everything, I mean everything. <laughs> he, everything he owned or touched or stood near to, I think, was <laughs> in that museum. Like, I'm, like this, here's the screen that was on the window in his cell. Like that was, I remember seeing that and thinking, what? <laughs> And then they had the, um, like, I mean, I'm probably exaggerating, but it was like the gum wrapper that we found on the floor of his cell. Here it is, framed. <laughs> I mean, everything, because they had such this, this amazing love for him. And um, I, was, I, I was laughing about it when I saw it. And, and, but then as I thought about it, I thought, you know, it is just like, you know, I have um, my grandmother's, two porcelain boots. She collected porcelain boots and shoes. I don't like porcelain boots and shoes, right? But I have this because it was my grandmother's and it reminds me of her. And every time I see it, I think of her, you know? And so um, there's a connection there. And so then I understand what happened with Padre Pio, right? They just picked up everything, collected everything and preserved it in frames, you know? And uh, and that's a, it's just an expression of their love for him and uh, their desire to, to be close to him in some some physical, tangible way. They go, of course, to pay their respects to Padre Pio, to ask for his intercession and to see his relics. Just the word relic comes from the Latin reliquia, which means a remnant or a remain of something. And so when we're talking about relics in the Catholic Church, we're obviously talking about the remains of the bodies of saints or some object that touched the body of a saint or that the saint used in their lifetime. Something that was it's left here after that saint's death and now knowing that that man or woman is in heaven, uh, brother or sister in heaven praying for us, the remains are important to us because God uh, used their bodies and, and the things that they used in this life to make them holy. And now through them, there are opportunities for us to be inspired in our own faith, to become holy ourselves. And in addition to all that, uh, there's been many recorded examples of uh, miracles, miraculous healings happening through these relics or these remains of the saint on earth. The tradition behind relics is found in scripture. And even in Acts 19, we see that God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So the handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away from his body to the sick 
and diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So we see even while he was alive, uh, St. Paul's aprons and ha handkerchiefs were taken and, and they had healing properties to them or, or people received healing by means of these physical objects that touched this holy man's uh, beings. God obviously works his graces through our bodies in this life. It should be no wonder that if someone is truly in heaven, that their remains here on earth, God can work wonders and miracles through them uh, after death. Padre Pio's relics continue to be relevant to the faithful, but the story of his life and his holiness continue to have far-reaching effects today. My uh, exposure to Padre Pio uh, kind of started actually the year before I entered seminary, and I actually watched a movie on him. It's, I forget what it's called, Padre Pio Miracle Man or something, but it's in Italian with English subscripts. I remember um, it just kind of drawing me to a, a greater desire to the priesthood. I was already had that desire in my heart at the time, but then looking at his life, uh, even though I knew that there's a big difference between me and him, uh, even w uh, without all of his, his uh, the miraculous things that surrounded him, he's just a, a good priest. He loved the Mass, he loved confession, uh, had a great zeal for the salvation of souls, but above all had just a deep burning love for Jesus. I remember watching that movie and, and, and especially those aspects of his life, of just his uh, fidelity to, to, to holiness and whatever God was calling him. That, that was my first experience with him. Two things that are part of my daily life as a priest. Uh, the first would be his reverent celebration of the Mass and how many people talk about how he celebrated the Mass and really um, himself having this deep kind of communion and mystical experience during the Mass uh, and how that drew other people to the reality of Christ. And I, it seems to me for ever since I heard that you know, years ago, even as I was a seminarian, that um, that to to be a priest is to celebrate the sacrifice well and to draw other people to that encounter with Christ. First, having that encounter yourself, and then the second thing would be his kind of imitation of John Vianney, if you will. You know, and his countless hours in the confessional and the fruits of people that had the experience of having the sacrament with him, celebrating the sacrament of reconciliation with him, and how he really helped them to see, their one, their sins, to the mercy of God. Um, he wasn't, it sounds like from many stories, that he wasn't afraid to tell people what was going on, and also how they could turn to the mercy of God. So yeah, th I think those two things are the cornerstones that I would see of his, of his life, you know, his celebration of the Mass, celebration of the Sacrament of Reconciliation uh, as a priest. He reminds me a lot of St. John Vianney, who is one of my favorite saints, um, just in the way that he was available to people to bring them to Jesus, to bring them, to reconcile them to God, really. I think of him in the confessional, mostly, I think. I don't think so much about the stigmata that he had, even though that was a lot of what drew people to him, I think, that mystical part of his spiritual life. Uh, and of course, there are a lot of detractors who thought it wasn't real or whatever, but when you see his life and you read about his life and see the fruits of his life, how can it not be the Lord? That's clear, I think, that this was God who was working through him and, and in him. My name is Jennifer Henderson, and my husband J.D. and I have four children, 
I'm a stay-at-home mom, and we go to Immaculate Conception Parish. Fifteen years ago, Jennifer was 29, single, and living in Texas as a missionary for the Salt Religious Community. She had discerned God was calling her to marriage. I was living a religious order, so lots of priests, seminarians, religious sisters, but not very many single men. (laughs) She visited a friend in Louisiana who was preparing for her own marriage, and that friend's future mother-in-law recognized the hopelessness Jen was feeling about her vocation. This is never going to happen. You know, I'm almost 30. And she gave me a prayer card of Padre Pio. And on the prayer card, it said, you know, pray, hope, don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful and will hear your prayer. And that really struck me, really to the core. um, Because I was feeling so hopeless. And here was Padre Pio saying, don't worry, just pray and just trust. And I was lacking in trust. (laughs) So that was the beginning of my relationship with Padre Pio. She met and married her husband, JD, and early on in their marriage, they experienced two miscarriages and all the grief that came with that. Working with their doctors, they were once again able to conceive and sustain a pregnancy. And at the first ultrasound, we found out it was twins. Immediately, J.D. began an online search to find the patron saint of unborn children. It was in this search that he found a story of Padre Pio, who, as a seminarian, was summoned in prayer by Our Lady to come to a house where a father was dying and his wife was pregnant. The Blessed Mother told Padre Pio that she wanted the child to be taken care of, and she entrusted the unborn baby girl to Padre Pio. He began then to pray for her, and years later, when the child had grown, he wrote to her, and they became close friends. From then on, we prayed every single day during the pregnancy to Padre Pio that he would protect our pregnancy because I was super scared. I thought for sure I was going to lose them both. It was twins. I was super scared. And so we prayed every day, and really we didn't have too many complications until about 29 weeks, and then I was put on bed rest. And then I um, developed preeclampsia at almost 35 weeks and spent two days in the hospital. And then it was time to deliver them. And the first, our daughter, Kiara, she was born just fine. And then it was taking a long time. While twins are usually born relatively quickly, one after the other, Jen's son was really taking his time. The room full of doctors grew concerned, and the plan to move to a C-section began to take shape. And JD said he immediately started praying to Padre Pio, please don't let her have to have a C-section. And and about 30 minutes later, Francesco was born. The son that was born, they named Joseph Pio Francesco to honor St. Padre Pio. Another family with a child named for Padre Pio is Mark Hazel's family. Hi, my name is Mark Hazel. I'm... um employee of the diocese, facilities director here. I'm a, also a parishioner at uh, Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And I have awesome wife, and we've been married for coming up to 10 years in October, and six small children, and all under nine, and three in heaven. In 1998, Mark had been working the same job since graduating from high school nine years earlier. I was away from the church. I wasn't following my faith. Uh, my grandfather 
prayed a lot for us, our family, uh, especially, I, I know he prayed a lot for me because I needed it. <laughs> Trying to figure out what he should do next, he considered law enforcement as his family was involved in that line of work and he wanted to do something that had an influence. God was at work here, making a way for him to enter the police force and ultimately placing Mark on his hometown's force. At the same time, God was moving his heart. And um, I just started watching it, not on TV. <laughs> she wore a full brown habit, and I just thought she just drew me in. And uh, everything she was saying, it was like speaking to me. <laughs> it was like, what? Okay. Of course, that nun in a brown habit was none other than Mother Angelica on EWTN. It wasn't long before Mark discovered EWTN radio and things really began to change. Uh, one day I got a call, I was in my sector, and I got a call from an unknown medical. And, um, <laughs> and you, you, just, you just go, those are the worst. You don't know what you're going into and what it's going to be. And they said the ambulance was rolling on this one, so we got, I got there quick. I was right down the street, actually. So I went, I opened, I cracked the door, it was open, and I, I remember yelling, police, police, and I hear um, a strained voice say, over there. So I'm like, okay, so I went that way. Mark found a person in danger of death, and he began medical intervention immediately. Once the ambulance and its crew arrived, they took over and transported the person to the hospital. However, because Mark was the first on the scene, he stayed back to gather information about the situation so he could file the report. So I went over to where I heard the voice. <laughs> It was in a living room. I walk in the living room, and um, the first thing I see is this big statue of Our Lady. And where I was at, I, I, how do you describe that? Like where I was at spiritually, emotionally, everything in my life, it was like it was like walking into uh, it was a peace-filled room. I, it, the holy reminders all over the other different things, but there. That's the first thing I saw. I remember walking in and seeing Our Lady of Grace, a big statue, blue, beautiful. I was like, oh. And then, TV right next to Our Lady, Mother Angelica. <laughs> she was, and she was, oh, just oh, awesome. Also in the room was a woman named Mary, who was unable to move due to a debilitating disease called progressive supernuclear palsy. This rare condition affects movement, balance, eyesight, swallowing, and makes speech difficult and painful. I try to put it together. I'm like, well, you can't get up. You can't get to the phone. Uh, and... How did, like, how did you, what'd you do? And she told me, and I can hear it today. She says, I couldn't get up to do anything, so I prayed to Padre Pio, and the Poland spring driver came. <laughs> and I looked, I said, Mary, Padre Pio heard your prayer. Because I worked for Poland Spring for nine years, that's the job I left, and I just bought a book on Padre Pio when it was in my cruiser. I was reading it. And, uh, and she looked at me with just faithful, I, I, I see the, her look was just, it was awesome. And she just went, <laughs> Because of the early intervention, the person with the emergency made a full recovery and Mark went on to make frequent visits to the house to pray the rosary with them or watch EWTN. Within the next year, Mary passed away peacefully and the last Mark had heard, their whole family had returned to the church and were receiving the sacrament of confession. Oh, that's set me on my way, that experience. Uh, and I can still feel Mary's presence with Padre Pio right now. Like, he's here. And boy, is he here. <laughs> and at the time I wasn't married, I didn't know what my vocation was supposed to be. Not long after that, I discovered through reading the book and, and 
learning about Padre Pio that you can become a spiritual child of his. And, and I became a spiritual child. Long story short, not long after that, I met my wife Anne, and we were talking, and she became a spiritual child of his uh, about a month after that. He's just been with us ever, he's always with us, and we are, we're his, we're his children. It is known that Padre Pio took on each person who he ministered to as a spiritual child. About these spiritual children, he wrote, I love their souls as much as I love my own, own soul, soul and, and even, even more. more. And he said, once I take a soul on, I also take on their entire family as my spiritual children. And he also said, I will stand at the gates of paradise until all my spiritual children have entered. So JD and I and our family have asked Padre Pio to be our spiritual father. So you can do that. You can ask Padre Pio to be your spiritual father and you can be his spiritual child. And um, as I was growing up, I grew up in a single parent home. I saw my dad three times a year. And so that is so important to me to have that spiritual father there because I felt like my dad didn't know how to be a spiritual father. And so really we have taken on Padre Pio as our spiritual father in our, in our home. Today, as in his own lifetime, Padre Pio is drawing us to the Lord. By God's grace, we have the great opportunity to come face to face with some of his relics and to seek God's healing and mercy through Padre Pio. So we're going to begin on um, Friday evening, um, September 28th, uh, at 5:30 p.m. Bishop uh, Grus, our bishop, will celebrate Mass there, and um, at during the Mass, um, there'll be the reception of the relics. So the relics will come in and be set out uh, at the time of the Mass, during the Mass, um, for veneration. And so those will be brought up uh, near the end of Mass, um, and that will begin a period of 24 hours of veneration. So we'll venerate uh, the various relics of St. Padre Pio um, from after that 5.30 Mass on Friday evening all the way through 5.30 uh, Mass on Saturday evening. Uh, and so the church will be open 24-7, uh, in our main church, the, the relics will be up at front. Uh, you'll process, you know, through the center aisle where you have opportunities for prayer and reflection and to um, also make petitions to Padre Pio to place, you know, before him. Um, and then you'll have some time to be able to pray in front of these relics, these remembrances uh, of the saint. Um, and um, during the day on Saturday, you know, we're gonna, as I said, we're gonna be open through the night for veneration there, but we also have 24 hour adoration going on in a, another chapel, Our Lady's Chapel, just off the side, the transept of the sanctuary. But uh, the next day, you know, uh, we'll begin with the eight o'clock a.m. mass, you know, and also in addition to that, we have a sung rosary at noon, we have the Divine Mercy Chaplet at 3 uh, p.m. And finally, we'll conclude this 24 hours of veneration at the 5.30 Mass on Saturday evening again with Bishop Bruce. Bishop will be available for uh, three hours on, uh, on Friday uh, and then all day Saturday leading up to the 5.30 Mass, so from early in the morning uh, to the evening as well. We also will have at various times throughout the day on Saturday um, healing prayer teams that will be available to pray with people, to pray over people. 
uh, again, you know, uh, a great gift of, of, uh, of Padre Pio as a sacrament of reconciliation, but also his tremendous gift of prayer. And so um, we've had prayer teams here at the cathedral for several years, and, um, and we, there, it's going to be exciting to have people have that opportunity to pray, um, be prayed for, be prayed over for any kind of healing that they might need in their lives or their lives of their families. In the case of the cathedral that we're receiving, you know, we'll receive, see his tunic that he wore, you know, we'll have one of uh, the gloves, you know, of his, from where the stigmata bled on his gloves that he would wear each day. So there's different things that we'll be able to see and appreciate just the, this is our connection, you know, in a sensible way with the saint. To visit the relics, whether you are coming from down the street or out of state, it is a pilgrimage. And to prepare, there are some things you might consider. Well, I would read a little bit about Padre Pio, for starters. Um, there's so much information available about him, and we have so much good information about him because he's so recent in our history and people who knew him. And, and so I would just find something online or a book, just read a little bit about Padre Pio to get to know him a little bit. Um, read some of the stories about Pope St. John Paul II and Padre Pio. Uh, and then I would just start praying to him, just ask Padre Pio to intercede for us here and um, for the closeness of my heart to, him, to, the, to the Lord through his intercession. He drew people close to the Lord. He helped people open up their hearts to the Lord and interceded for them in that way. And so I think he still does. I think. And so, so to just come to him and ask for his intercession in, um, in bringing my heart closer to the Lord, to be able to open up the things that I need to open up to the Lord, uh, and then come and, uh, and be with him here at the cathedral when he comes, uh, and see the relics that were a part of his life um, that touched so many souls. And like our Lord said in, in the gospel so much, faith, have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. He says it all, over and over again. and. Uh, so just have faith. No matter what's happening around us, just have faith. And we know Padre Pio did, and he, he lived it. I mean, through it all, through everything. If you, when you read him and you, and you, you get to know him, you, you, you gain faith. And then you realize it's not us, it's him, God, who does it for us through our Lord. May we seek out God's mercy and intercession through Padre Pio, and we hope to see you and yours at the cathedral September 28th and 29th. This episode was produced by me, Annie Daniel, with technical and production help by Jacques Daniel. Special thanks to fathers Brian Christensen and Mark Horn, Susan Safford, Jen Henderson, and Mark Hazel. For All the Saints is produced out of the Office of Faith Formation for the Diocese of Rapid City. God bless.